0: Hey, Cornerstone, how are you guys doing? Yeah. Right on. Hey, we're gonna pick up a conversation today that we started back in January. If you remember, you and I had a conversation in January called Counterculture, where we said with one another that periodically throughout this year, we're gonna come back to that conversation and, and talk about issues where, as believers, whose, whose sole authority in life is God's Word, uh, you and I are going to come down differently on many issues in our culture and our world than the people around us who don't know our Jesus. And and so we said with one another that we're going to tackle all kinds of issues in in this conversation throughout the year periodically, Um, stuff that a lot of churches just don't talk about, but God's Word certainly addresses, things like gay and lesbianism, things like abortion, things like modesty, uh, things like the environment. Uh, We we said we were going to kind of talk about all that stuff. I mean, the list was uh, this really big list, and the way we are going to get to it was coming back to it throughout the year and talking about that. And, and so we're going to kind of jump in to that conversation uh, again this morning. And, and here's my ask on the front end of the whole deal. Would you consider checking your political ideas, uh, your, your persuasions, your feelings, um, either, either one or two things, either check them at the door and say, okay, for a moment, I'm just going to open myself up and say, what does God's word have to say about these issues, or maybe better yet, bring those things with you and simply say, you know what, I'm going to let the Lord's word reign supreme in my life, and I'm going to subject my ideas and my political philosophies and my feelings to the scriptures, and I'm going to let the scriptures drive how I feel about these issues and, and, and how I interact with these issues in the world around us. So that's, that's kind of where we're going today, and today we're going to open up the conversation on Abortion. And, and I know that as I say that word, all of a sudden, I mean, I can watch you, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, we're talking about that. Yes, we're talking about that. Um, I get that it's complex. I get that it's politically charged. I get that it has a lot of layers to it. It is not an easy conversation to have. Uh, but I think it's a conversation we, we need to have. Um, truth is, in church world right now, it'd be a lot easier to talk about something like social justice, like poverty, It'd be easier to talk about um, uh, children who are starving, sex traffic. Those kind of issues that in church world right now are very in vogue to talk about. And and those are the kind of things that that have us really amped up as a church in in North America right now. Those are the things that the church is doing something about in North America right now. And they should get us amped up. We should do something about those issues. I mean, last week, I was right with you, right? I mean, 140,000 meals. On their way to Haiti right now. It's it's a special, special moment. I I got to have my kids with me. Lincoln's on a backpack. You know, we're just packing meals together. It's it's a real special moment. And we should do something about that as a church, because this year, 1.35 million children globally are going to die because of poverty and poverty-related issues. So guys, I'm super proud of you for last week, packing those meals and, and being a part of that and funding that whole deal, man. But you guys get that this year, over 40 million children are going to die globally from abortion. So this is a conversation you and I, we need to have. Because usually in the world when you hear the word Christian and you hear the word abortion in the same sentence, the very first thing you think of is like extremist, right? I mean, you flip on the news and what do you see? You see some Christian weirdo at an abortion clinic, you know, with, with a sign shouting awful things to people, right? Or, or, you, or you see another Christian's blown up an abortion clinic, or another Christian's shot somebody who is performing abortions, you know? And so, and so that's what the world sees when they see you and I as Christians and this issue attached to us, right? That's how they view us, as like extremists, kind of either that or they see us as, as apathetic and not caring. It's usually one or the other. You know, it's not that way with poverty. It's not that way with social justice issues, because they see us packing the meals and sending them. They see us sending our, our money and our dollars. They, they see us sending short-term projects to India and doing something about the condition and the plight of humanity. They see us building wells. So they see us doing something about that. But when it comes to abortion, usually what they see is extremists or apathy. I don't think either one of those two places is a great place to land. I don't think that's necessarily what the scriptures would teach us of how to interact with this issue either. Some of you guys may remember back to the um, uh, political debates that took place right before our current election, then presidential uh, candidate uh, Barack Obama was asked by the moderator in one of those debates, what do you believe or when do you believe life begins? That question comes up in every political debate, right? I mean, most people vote. That's a litmus test for a lot of people in the way they vote. And uh, Barack Obama re- responds back, well, that, that, that's above my pay grade to answer that question. And it's kind of a cute answer, but it's also a very telling response that you guys get that even the most powerful people in the world don't want to touch this issue. Because it is a volatile issue. It is emotional It's polarizing, it affects who gets into the White House and who doesn't get into the White House. This is a very complex issue. But at the same time, I think if you allow us to this morning, and we kind of draw back the haze surrounding the issue, I believe it really boils down to one key question. And that is, when does life begin? Right? When does life begin? And there's all kinds of facets and tangents we can go off of, but the real heart of this matter is when does life begin? begin and, and frankly it doesn 't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat it doesn 't matter what your political persuasion is. If we could land that question, if we could land when life begins, what would the scriptures teach about that? I mean, if that life in the womb really is a child i don 't care what your political persuasion is you wouldn't do anything to harm that child if that was a child, right? None of us would so so here 's the issue while it 's a volatile issue, the scriptures do speak to it, so let 's grab our Bibles. And let's go ahead and open up to Psalms, chapter 139. It's going to be really easy for you to find. It's right in the middle of your Bible. As you open the Bible, you're going to, you're going to come to this book of Psalms right in the middle. Psalms, chapter 139. And, and no, you're not going to find the word abortion anywhere in the Scriptures, but you are going to find this concept of life and how those Scriptures view life in, in the Bible very clearly. And it's going to help us answer that question of when life begins. So let's, let's pick it up together. Psalms, chapter 139. Verse 13, the psalmist says this You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I think it's important for us to note the language that the psalmist uses here. He personalizes this moment. He personalizes this moment in the womb. Or he doesn't have consciousness of the moment. He doesn't remember the moment, but he reflects on the moment and he personalizes it. He doesn't say, Hey, when I was a fetus in my mom's womb. He doesn't say when i was a some tissue in my mom's womb he he personalizes the whole thing he says you made all the delicate inner parts of my body you knit me together thank you for making me so wonderfully complex you guys get this isn't just some weird arbitrary scripture that we find to try to proof text an idea or persuade an argument You guys get this? The scriptures are littered with this kind of language and this kind of conversation. If you want to, you can turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1 and check that out a little bit later. Jeremiah 1, the prophet, basically, he says the exact same thing in verses 4 and 5. He says, you know, before I was ever born, you knew me and you formed me in my mother's womb and you foreordained me to be a prophet to the nations. Job chapter 10, verses 10, and the subsequent verses after that, you're going to find the exact same language in that book, that that while I was in my mother's womb, God, you were working, and even then you were shaping me into the kind of man you wanted me to be, to do the kind of things you've made me to do. See, at the least, I mean, from a minimum standpoint, abortion would be destroying the work of God in the womb. Tell you what, turn over to Genesis chapter 25. It's the easiest book of the Bible to find. It's the first one. It's all the way to the left. Genesis chapter 25. I'm gonna pick up a story about a, a couple who've who, who, who they've wanted to be pregnant for a long time and haven't been able to. Maybe that might be your story. You and your wife, you've tried to get pregnant, you've wanted to have a child, that's been the, the desperate cry of your heart, but for some reason you've you've been unable to, to uh, conceive a child. And you've jumped through all kinds of hoops to, 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 to do that, and, and maybe, maybe you've chosen to adopt as a result of it, which I think is a beautiful story. I've seen marriages absolutely train wrecked over this issue of not being able to conceive and, and this destroy relationships. And here in Genesis chapter 25, we pick up a story similar to that. In verse 21 of chapter 25, it says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord to give Rebekah a child because she was childless. So the Lord answers their prayer. This is, if this has been your story, you get how special this moment is for them. God answers their prayer, and his wife becomes pregnant with twins. But the two children struggle with each other in her womb. She's got twins, not just one, but two. So she went to the Lord to ask about it. Why is this happening to me, she asks. Okay, so you get, like, how many of you women in the room have had, you've been pregnant, you've had a kid, the whole deal? Just curious, I'm seriously. Okay, good. We've done this three times in my home. And every single time, um, there comes a point in the pregnancy where my wife looks at me and she's kind of at that uncomfortable stage of the pregnancy. And uh, the, the baby's kind of moving around in her and, and maybe kicking her in her spleen or, or giving her a good uppercut in the middle of the night. Maybe the baby's got the days and nights all mixed up. I, that's kind of the moment here that Rebecca finds herself in. Because if you read it, it says the twins were, were wrestling in her, in her womb together. And Rebecca basically goes to God and said, God, what did you do to me? You know, it's kind of that moment where Lisa looks at me and sometime in the pregnancy, she always looks at me and she's like, you did this to me, you know. You know, I don't know what I was thinking when I got into bed with you, you know. It was was kind of one of those kind of moments here in Genesis 25. Now, what I want us to see is this. The Hebrew word that the scriptures use in Genesis chapter 25 to describe these children in the womb, the Hebrew word is the exact same word used over and over and over again in the Old Testament to describe infants, babies, and children. Same word. You see, what you and I are going to find as we study the Scriptures and submit our lives to what the Scriptures teach is that the Scriptures don't see any delineation between life inside the womb and life outside the womb. It's just life Luke chapter 1, you can study it this week for yourself. Luke chapter 1 is the same thing, except it's in the New Testament. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. They're pals. They're related, actually. And, and, and Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And it's, you, you guys, if you've been around church world for a while, you know this story. Mary goes in, and, and Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, kind of jumps in her, in her womb. And, and Elizabeth says this out loud to Mary, "'Blessed are you among women.'" That, that, that the mother of my Savior would come and visit me. And, and you guys get that the same word to describe the baby, Jesus, in the womb of Mary is the exact same Greek word used later when all the kids are coming to Jesus and the disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. let's not let Jesus be bothered by little kids, Right? Remember that story? And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me because faith is like this. You have to have the faith of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. You guys remember that story in the New Testament? Because the the real get is this. Whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New Testament, the Bible teaches us through its language that there's no difference between life inside of the womb and life outside of the womb. It's just life. So when does life begin? The scriptures would teach us life begins in the womb. And guys, I would say this isn't a gray issue for Christians. It's not. There's a lot of gray issues that the Bible doesn't speak directly to. But Abortion is not a gray issue for people who who call the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of their life, and who say the scriptures are their sole authority in life. Now, I get that um, our lives and God's word, when they intersect, sometimes that could be a little messy. And, and I get that I could just stand up here and have this talk and give this sermon about what's the Bible teach about this and, you know, try to persuade your heart. I don't really feel that being my job and my inclination this morning so much as to allow you to be a part of a conversation because I, in preparation for this moment, I, being a guy who doesn't have the same emotions that women do, um i I, I've, I figured out real quick i gotta go hang out and talk with some women who this has been a part of their story because i, I got a lot to learn on this issue i mean i can just re- rehearse all the information and drop that on you right but that doesn't do anybody good our, our, our goal is to help us understand how to live with god's word and to submit ourselves to it and so there's been a couple of ladies who have graciously accepted an invitation to be on stage with me this morning and share their story with you. So I would ask, would you please welcome these three gals to the stage with me this morning? <clears throat> Dara, Christina, Carrie, thank you so much for being on stage with me. It's um, it's a pretty big deal, you know? And um, to be honest with you, I'm humbled over the fact that you would share a little bit of your story and God's story in you and through you with, with us and with me. And so it's really an honor for me to share the stage with you. So thank you so much. Um, for the sake of time, and as well as just to, as a starting point in our conversation, Carrie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. and I'm, I'm going to just plunge right in, okay? Um, so I'm just going to ahead and lay it out there. How does a young lady get to the point where this is the decision in her life. And how does he, uh, uh, you know, this isn't a decision I've ever had to make. I've never been forced with this moment. So I'm not going to pretend like I, I know what it feels like. So how does a young lady make that decision? How do you land on the fact that, okay, this is going to be the course of my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an abortion. How do you choose that?
1: Well, Paul, I was only 15 years old. Kay. And at 15, I was sexually active, you know, looking for love, became pregnant, scared um, definitely my thought was, I need to get rid of this problem, mm. and I need to take the easy way out, and I don't want anybody to know about this. So I went to my Aunt Mary, who, you know, I confided in her, and it was just a matter of fact, this is what we're doing. I'll make the appointment, don't even worry about it, told my mom. And my mom and my boyfriend, we ended up driving to the clinic together, and I remember paying $75, and he paid the other half. Hmm. and we went down to the clinic.
0: So, so the very people in your life who God had put in your life to coach, to care, to guide you, who should be loving you, and the direction they've landed you on, the direction they pointed you towards is, hey, this is the right call, Carrie. Okay. Now, Christina, your story's a little different. This moment came while you were in college, right?
2: Yeah, I was a junior in college, and um, you know, I, I didn't confide in my mom or dad or any family members. Um, my thoughts were you know i don't have a degree um i don't have a job and i'm here on an athletic scholarship so how i was going to provide it, i didn't know hmm. just scared okay.
0: now dara um your story adds another layer to the conversation because you grew up in a pastor's home and um you also already had two children when you decided to have an abortion so that, that adds a different twist on this whole thing for us
3: right the way i came to this decision was um, I was living with um, my boyfriend. I had two small children. Um, I found out I was pregnant, and immediately this guy became abusive, um, controlling, said, you can't leave. You're stuck with me now. Um, He had convinced me to quit my job. I knew I needed to um, support my kids. And when I'm pregnant, I am really sick with morning sickness and so I could not physically get out of bed to work and support my kids and and I ended the relationship with him I knew that I needed to get a job I needed to support my children and I I felt trapped I was in a I was trapped in a corner I could not I had no other option I needed to I I knew that if I did this that tomorrow night I wouldn't be sick anymore and Mm -hmm. I could get a job
0: I think it's interesting, all the girls I spoke with uh, about this, who have this in their story, as well as you three gals who are on stage with me today, every single one of them, in one shape or the other, they, they all said that I felt trapped. I felt like I didn't have another option. This was my only choice that I could make. And it's interesting to hear you guys, you know, reaffirm that in your conversation. Um, let's talk about a part of the story that most people never get the opportunity to hear. And that's the actual abortion clinic itself. Carrie, can you talk to us a little bit about that experience and what that was like?
1: Yeah, it's so crazy. You can still remember it so vividly. Um, I went there with my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and we sat in the waiting room, and she called my name, and we went back into, like, just I went back into this this little closet area. And I remember the words were crazy because they're, like, totally over my head. She said, the procedure will eliminate the product of conception. So it was just, like never baby or anything like that and just sign here on the dotted line and we'll call you back yeah for me um i just
3: remember going into the waiting room paying the money being shuffled through a door and um sitting in a room about the size of this table with lined with four uh, love seats and it was full of girls two on each and they gave us a little dixie cup uh, with a valium and a and a water and they said take it and the rest, we don't remember mm. until uh, we're, we're in a recovery type of room and we're lined with all these beds, no curtains, no nothing, and they're basically just shaking us to get us to, get us to wake up so we can leave because the beds needed to be used, you know, for the next girls wow. that are coming in. It was just sort of like a cattle, a herd of cattle, you know, just going through this clinic.
1: Wow. Mine was real similar to that too, uh, Paul, because I remember the beds being there, and I also remember uh, them serving us cookies and milk.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's fast forward to the next day for a moment. Um, how do you go back to being a mom after a moment like that? How do you go back to you know, a, a scholarship that you've got a responsibility to fulfill, and you're going back to high school? I mean, how, how do you re enter life and go back to normal after a moment like that?
3: I do the easiest thing, and shove it. I pretend that it didn't happen. I had two kids to raise. I had a job to get and I just pretended it didn't happen and shoved it under the rug and never never even thought about it again.
1: Mm. Similar to with me where so I had to go back to high school and what I, I remember Monday morning like a like a like a mask was on my face, you know, imaginary mask saying just go to your classes. Nothing happened to you over the weekend. So I went to my classes no one would ever know about this. And hmm. I just just told myself that, nobody. And kind of like a beach ball in a pool, you know, it wants, to, you just shove it down, it wants to come up, but I left it down there for years.
0: Now, yours was a little bit different, right, Christina?
2: Yeah, mine was different in that, um, you know, my coach knew and the guy that I was dating knew and, and a friend and, um, you know, after the abortion, you're not supposed to physically active exercise or anything for at least two weeks so I had to you know convince my teammates that I was injured you Mm. know for some other reason and hope that they wouldn't question anything and and find out the truth that I had an abortion
0: so they they had to buy this this new reality that had been concocted right? See, I think it's interesting, too, because this reaffirms some of the other conversations that I've had with some of the other women along the way, is that, that every single gal I talked to at some point, they said there, there's so much shame associated with this that that I, no one can really ever really know. You know, it's I don't want anybody to know, i, I got to get this thing taken care of right now. I don't want anybody to know that this is how I took care of it. But it's, it's a reoccurring thing that came up over and over and over again. So, Okay, one other thing I've heard consistently is... Um, that this affected more than just you. This splashed over into other areas of your life. And we talk about that here at Cornerstone, about how sin never just affects us, but it does, it splashes over and affects other areas of our lives that we never really intended it to affect. And so talk to me a little bit about that, Dara.
3: For me, I think that I would have never thought that it was the actual um, abortion that caused the effect of all the, the... Relationships, but a year after the abortion, I had gotten married, and we were married for 10 years, and it ended about uh, two years ago. And I went through a class here at Cornerstone for overcoming abortion, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't think that I needed it. I didn't think that I needed the class. I was over it. It was, you know, I had dealt with it years ago. I'm fine. Yeah, like you said, you would
0: stuffed it. You said, right? Yeah, I yeah. stuffed
3: it. So I and I didn't have any. You know, it just was. You know, I was fine, and and so I went through the class, and um, I just I could I had sort of this aha moment where I realized that my marriage that ended after ten years could have stemmed from this one decision I made eleven uh, years ago.
0: How so? What do you mean by that?
3: Because I was not a hundred percent myself. I had kept the secret. If I can keep this secret, I can keep any secret, and so I was able to have that wall up, have that. Um, lack of intimacy, lack of communication because I could be someone else because I had been a someone
1: else for 11 years.
0: Wow, wow. Mm. Carrie, that's similar for you, right?
1: Kind of, um, but what I had done is I, I just went into uh, a, a lot of rebellion, mm. you know, being in high school, so my next four years of high school is was just more rebellious and just more looking for love, wanting somebody to love me.
0: Okay, all right. Now, Christina um you took the whole overachiever route is that right is that how you dealt with this
1: yeah that
2: was my coping mechanism my my uh, coping mechanism was very much look how successful i am look how happy i am look how well balanced i am from the outside so that no one would ever question you know the shame or the guilt or how i'm really feeling on the inside so Mm -hmm. i kept that up
0: so as long as i stay on the scholarship as long as i do well in my career as long as it looks like everything's good on the outside, no one will really know the real me. Um, and this is another thing that consistently came up in conversations, is this this fear of being known. That when, Because you guys get, when we hide sin, when we stuff sin, it builds a pattern in our lives. And it doesn't matter if it's abortion or something else. And when we stuff sin, we create a, a, a false persona of who we really are, which, man, it, it shows up in every relationship in life, including with our Heavenly Father, where, where it just... It, it, creates a barrier to, to real relational intimacy and so it's like on the outside it's like that duck on the water we're on top they the floating everything looks great but underneath those little legs are just doing this right <laughs> yeah okay now let me I'm gonna ask a more pointed question okay so so they know it and you guys know it um, the shame the guilt the remorse that's come up a couple times it's come up backstage as we've talked how did you deal with the shame and the guilt and the remorse Dara, how, how did you deal with that
3: Honestly, I don't think I ever dealt with it because I think that I shoved it so far under for, like I said, eleven years. I don't think I ever really allowed myself to feel anything, any kind of remorse or anything, until recently. Until mm. recently, when I went through the class.
0: What was a period of time there?
3: There was. It was eleven years. Eleven years 11 before years. you
0: actually. So eleven years, you're thinking, I'm good. It's not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Wow. Carrie, yours is similar. Yeah,
1: I, mine was. 13 years I remember when we were asked that question in the back about the regret I was thinking I don't think I had any that's because for 13 years I had just literally stuffed it God did allow a moment though and Mm. I'm so thankful that he really brought it to the light and then I made a decision father I trust you you are faithful you are so faithful to forgive me and I know that he did
0: Now, Christina, yours is, again, different, because this happens different ways with different people. Um, You have a story about going to church with your mom. What was that?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, I went, you know, after the abortion, I I did go to church with my mom, and um, I could not get through a service without being in hysterics, crying, just really emotional and upset, and and my mom was convinced that I was just really moved by, you know, the service and (laughs) Um, sermon wasn't that good though, was no. it? No. Yeah. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, it was just all of that shame and that regret and that mm-hmm. guilt surfacing um, every single Sunday, every single day, and that was my release. I just cried out.
0: Wow. Okay. Understanding statistics, the truth of the matter is that there's a lot of men and women in this room that this is a part of their story as well. Um, And there's some men and women in this room who they haven't dealt with this for years in fact they think they don't need to because they dealt with it you know they haven't felt remorse like you guys talked about or or maybe every single week they come to church they feel guilty you know it's both ways how do you how do you move from that to seemingly today you guys have freedom i mean we're having this conversation five times today and you guys are just having a conversation like yeah this is a part of my life you know it's awful but it's it's okay now how do you get to where someone can say it's okay now? I mean, how do you get there, Dara? Uh,
3: I th- <laughs> A year ago, there's no way I would have been able to do this, but hmm. um, going through the Bible study and and dealing with, you know, the fear, the anger, the resentment, the, you know, all the emotions that go along with this and knowing that I can go through all of those and God still loves me. He hmm. still accepts me. He even something that I would think would be the most, the worst sin out there. Um, But in his eyes, sin is sin. It doesn't matter and he still loves us and he still, and I cannot tell you going through that class and going through the end of it how freeing it was and just knowing I am still loved and I can go through with this and I can be able to move forward and, and use this experience to help other women who probably just like I was a year ago are saying, I'm fine. I don't, hmm. I'm over this. I, it's not affecting me, but allowing them to realize that it really does affect them, even if it's five, ten years down the road. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Christina, you had a friend in college who played on the softball team with you. Who, who had, well, that was the kind of the first step as yeah. far as understanding how God felt about this, and then also you interacting with God over this. But it really wasn't until later that you experienced freedom and forgiveness through this.
2: Yeah, my um, my experience happened about a year and a half ago. And um, I got involved in a small group and really started to dissect some, some events that occurred in my life and what that meant and how to process it and how to, you know, uh, health, how to cope with it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And um, this surfaced right there. I mean, it just came right up. And I got involved with a Bible study. And it was through that that I was able to understand that God has forgiven me. It's OK to forgive myself. And that my child is in heaven. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not the same person then that I am today. And I give him all the praise and all the glory.
0: Mm. Yeah. Carrie, your story certainly there was a similar moment of, of forgiveness when you felt, you know, released by the Lord over this issue. But the way that came wasn't through one of these Bible studies that these gals were talking about.
1: No, mine wasn't through a Bible study. Really, it was in the privacy of my own home. And I was got a job at Christian Family Care Agency, and they had given me some videos to watch. And one of them had this spiritual emphasis to it. And I remember when I watched it, I broke down, like on the ground. And it, it was
0: that wasn't about abortion. That was just the scriptures that the Lord reads. It was the scripture, yeah. yeah.
1: And so the one that I just will hold on to to this day and talk to girls about is as far as the east is from the west, he has forgiven us. And that's what I hold on to and and just know that God is faithful and he has completely forgiven me.
0: Well, ladies, I'd like to thank you very much on behalf of the church and myself for being a part of this conversation with us. It's a special thing to uh, walk through what you've walked through and yet be able to say, because of Christ, I can walk in freedom from here on out. And, um, And there's people that are dying for that. And so thank you for being a part of this conversation, girls. Thanks. if you caught what Christina said that she was going to church with her mom week after week after week and yet she felt convicted week after week after week you guys realize that there's people in this room who this, this is a part of their story and yet they're so scared to come out and say this is a part of my story they're so scared to deal with this openly and honestly and come out of hiding with God because they're afraid of the church they are They're afraid because the church has positioned themselves historically to say abortion is bad and people who have abortions are bad. Guys, that is not the kind of church that we're going to be. It's just not. The truth of the matter is this. You know very well what you and I are both made of. The scripture describes it as dust. And apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are capable of some really messy stuff. I know what I'm capable of. And it's not good. And apart from the grace that I've found in Jesus Christ and the covering of his blood through the cross, my life would be an absolute train wreck. So guys, the the kind of people that God's calling us to be as a community is the kind of people who give grace freely because it's been freely given to us. Because we've been forgiven much We can forgive others much and we can love much. And knowing the statistics, the truth is this affects a lot of people in this room. I know this is a a part of a lot of people's stories in this room. And maybe as a woman, you're thinking to yourself, I don't believe God could ever really love me again. I don't believe God could ever really forgive me from this. Paul, you don't really know what it feels like. I don't think God could ever use me. There's men in this room who you got a gal pregnant in college and you booked and you left her high and dry and she didn't feel like she had another option. Or, or you told her, yeah, you know what? I'm not ready to be a dad. I can't handle this. We're getting into an abortion. Or maybe you didn't say anything at all because you didn't think it wasn't your body, right? You didn't have the right to say anything and you shirked your responsibility. And as a man, you're sitting in this moment thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder if God still loves me. I wonder if God could still forgive me. I wonder if God could really use me. And the scriptures would teach us this. In Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. There's no dark, awful, ugly place you can go. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus He's gonna seek you out. He is gonna chase you down. He's gonna radically love you. Romans 5 would teach us that we don't have to get our act together to come to Jesus. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, the story of the scriptures is God pursued us in our brokenness. God pursued us in our in the, the mess of what we've made of our life, of the rebellion. That you and I are guilty of in our lives. That God pursued us in that. See, the the lie of religion is that you can get better. You can't. You can't get better. We're broken. The truth of relationship in Jesus is that you can be made whole. There's a difference between the two. And guys, you need to know there is nothing embarrassing, there's nothing ugly. There's nothing to be ashamed of, of sin that's been covered by the blood of Jesus through the cross. Nothing. And that's why these women can come up on a stage and they can have a real conversation about a moment that made a decision where they didn't consult God. That for many of them led to years and years and years of hurt and hiding from God and hiding from other people. And yet they can stand up on this stage in absolute freedom and forgiveness because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. And I'm just saying, whatever you do today, don't keep hiding. Don't keep stuffing it. Don't keep running from the forgiveness that's available to you in Jesus Christ. Because you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And you'll go your whole life wondering what if I'd had the courage to take one step out of hiding. And you'll go your whole life, and every relationship you have with every person, every child, and your God in heaven will fall short of the intimacy He's designed you for. Because you are designed to be fully known. You're designed to be fully loved not to hold back some little secret area of sin that no one could ever know about because if they do, they wouldn't love me. Guys, that's not the kind of people that God has called us to be at Cornerstone. There is never going to be a woman or a man on this campus who has this as a part of their story who feels condemned by us. Do you understand that? Ever. Because you and I have been forgiven much And we are not going to withhold forgiveness from others. Ever. That would be sin. And that would not be looking like the people that God's called us to look like. Listen, at the end of this service, everybody's going to be going this way. And there are going to be people up here who would love to hang and talk with you. And pray with you. And you can have freedom in this moment. By taking a step. Freedom is a short walk to, front, to the front of the stage to a moment of brokenness and confession and a moment of walking in a new direction. Ladies, we've got Bible studies that are starting the same Bible studies these gals were talking about in the next couple of weeks. If you want to start unpacking this in your life, if you want to find freedom and forgiveness with other women in a safe place centered around God's word, All you need is swing by our information booth out here in the lobby and and sign up for that class. Or if if that's too scary for one reason or another because of some relationship you're in right now, your husband may not even know this story right now in your life. Go home, go to cschandler.com, go to our women's ministry page and register for that class online. And tell him he doesn't need to know right now. (laughs) You talk to him when you're ready. Guys, this is a moment for the church to be the church, as much so as, as packing 140,000 meals and sending them to Haiti as the church, so is offering forgiveness and walking with women through this moment. Guys, we are not going to be extremists. We are not going to be apathetic. We're not. We're going to walk with women through this moment. We're going to come alongside of them and help them, and if need be, I'll adopt your, ch- your kid. People in this church will step up and adopt your kid. Guys, but we're going to be the church that God's dreamt for us to be. And it means talking about these issues. Because I love you. So proud of what God's doing in us. And my hope is that today you take a short walk towards freedom. Let's pray. Father God, God, I pray for the men and the women in this room who... Abortion has been a part of their story. They come to church week after week and they feel guilty. Or they've stuffed it so long that they forgot about it and thought they were over it and realized maybe they've never really truly dealt with you on this at all. God, I pray that today would be the day that they take a short walk towards freedom and forgiveness that can only be found in you. And God, I pray for us as a church, a community of people you call Cornerstone, that God, that we would be the kind of people that give grace freely because it's been so freely given to us. That in a very tangible and real way today, that we would say no one will ever be condemned for sin in here. That's not our job. It's so the work of the Holy Spirit, and Father, we're going to let you work. We're simply going to express your love in a tangible and real way and create the kind of safe place that anybody can show up and meet a God who's crazy about them. God, we love you, and I pray that you do in this moment only what you can. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen.